Our text is going to be found in the book of Daniel. This will be our last message here. We've spent a number of weeks just looking at the wonderful example of Daniel. And uh, I know I've learned a lot from it. I pray you have as well. And for this last message, I want to focus on actually a prayer of Daniel. You know, sometimes you read scripture and it's pretty straightforward and it's like, this is what you need to learn or this is what happened. That's kind of where we've been spending our time. Like, this is what Daniel did. We need to do the same. This time, as I read this, and, and hopefully it'll become clear to you, I, I get a sense of, of an attitude that Daniel has, one that we need to have as well. And so hopefully, uh, through the Spirit's help, I can communicate that clearly So we'll be looking at Daniel chapter 9, and just two verses I'd like you to focus on for the text. Daniel chapter 9, verse 18. Daniel chapter 9, and verse 18, the Bible says this, O my God, and by the way, only acceptable use of that phrase is in prayer or crying out to Him. O my God, incline thine ear and hear, open thine eyes. And behold our desolations in the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousness, but for thy great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not. For thine own sake, O my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, I thank you for this time that we have together. I ask that you please help us now as we come to the preaching of the word, that you would remove distractions and roadblocks in our minds and in our hearts, Lord, that everything else would fade away and we would be attentive. Take this word deep into our hearts by your spirit, Lord, and do the work in us that only you can do. And I ask for for strength and for clarity this morning. I thank you for all that you've done. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So, as I've already said, Daniel has been a pretty amazing book. This little book in the, in the Old Testament that just gives us story after story of, of this godly man. I pray it's been helpful. I, I pray that it's given you some strength. And here in our last sermon in the series, I want to let him speak to us one more time and kind of add one more layer to his example. We've seen some pretty amazing things from the start, haven't we? We've, we've seen the decision of a godly young man uh, right from the start to purpose in his heart that he would not be defiled by the world. The world. You remember that? He would not eat the king's meat. He's not going to go along with what this world puts in front of us. He purposed in his heart that he was going to uh, stay committed to God. And that purpose kept him the rest of his life. And so, young people, it's important that you purpose in your heart right from the get-go. You're going to serve God and no one else. Because if you don't have that purpose in place first, you're going to be bowing when the world says bow. You're going to be following along every time the world says believe this or do this. We saw that decision in his heart right from the get-go. We saw his boldness to speak the truth on multiple occasions to a godless society. He stood before two different kings and said what they didn't want to hear but what they needed to hear, right? We said we must do the same. To stand boldly and speak the truth. This is what God says. This is what you need to know. As we proclaim the gospel, as we proclaim the fellowship of the church, we are to be bold in the face of a godless society and speak the same. And of course, we saw the boldness, both of him and his friends, to stand when the world says bow. 
whether it gets you thrown in a furnace or whether it gets you thrown in a lion's den, we don't bow to the world, do we? We obey God rather than man, just as Daniel and his friends did. And hopefully all of those messages have challenged us. We are bringing back that old school phrase, dare to be like Daniel. I think we surely need to in this day and age. But what we don't get in the story of Daniel is a whole lot of behind the scenes. We know he's godly by his actions, right? There's no mistaking in what he does. From the fruit of his life, you can look at him and there's not a whole lot to guess about. We can say that man is godly because of what he does. And Jesus makes it clear too. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 16, he says, You shall know them by their fruits. Daniel is known by his fruits. And it's clear, even in this time, who some serve. It's funny, when hard times come along, I'm thinking back into the major events of just my lifetime. I remember 9-11. And when that happened, and how seemingly the heart of the nation all of a sudden turned towards God and was thinking about godly things. Even as this uh, situation we're in, as it first came and as it has continued to play out, there was a lot of people turning their hearts more towards godly things than they were before, right? But it also seems as time goes on and things begin to kind of drift back, fruits are shown. People show what they serve. People show who holds first place in their life. And so the church is emptied out. Bibles were put back on their shelves, and people drifted away again. You look at the Scripture, there's no doubt who Daniel serves. But here in this passage, we get a look at why. We get a look behind the scenes into his heart. In Daniel chapter 9, which is right in the middle of all this prophecy, all these these wonderful visions that Daniel's get. And we, we often pay attention to the last part of chapter 9 because that's the 70 weeks and, and uh, all that whole timeline. We look at that last part of the chapter, but right in the middle of all of it is a prayer. And in that prayer, we get to see deep in his heart what makes him tick, what makes him do the things that he does, and how, how he faces the trial and what moves him at his core. So not only has Daniel given us an example in action, he's going to give us an example in the right attitude, the right attitude. So I want to spend some time with that today. I want to address the question, how should we feel about what's going on? What is to be our core motivation in this time that we find ourselves in? We've already outlined our stand. We did that last week, right? We will not bow. The church doors will be open. Because we obey God rather than man. And even though there are orders and and, uh, executive action or whatever you want to call it, our obedience to God supersedes obedience to the law in that matter. We've outlined our stand in that. But what about our attitude as we stand? That's what I want to address today. Are, Are we to be defiant in it? Are we to be angry and distressed and bitter as we Stand as we do? Or how about indifferent? You know, some people, when hard times come along, they kind of try to shut themselves down. And so when you hear about current events or you hear about the state of the world, you try to just shut off your emotion. Well, can I say this morning, that's not possible. 
You cannot go through life without feeling, without being affected by what's going on around you. It's in our very design by our Creator. God has made us to feel. We are emotional beings on purpose. And that's part of being made in the image of God. That's not a result of sin. When you feel love or you feel happiness or you feel joy, that's not a result of the sin. Of sin. That is put there by your Creator. We are made to feel the wonders of love. I love being married. I love having a family. I love feeling that love that, that God has created and God has made us to feel. Or the, the heights of joy. We love laughing, don't we? It's some of the greatest times probably in, in your own memory banks is when you're sitting around with people just laughing at the right stuff, I guess. But having a good time and the, the warmth of a smile and that, the, the feeling of laughing and all the joy that comes with it, we're made to feel those things. And yes, there are some feelings that have come from the fall, Things like pain and sorrow, anger and hatred, yes. But we most definitely feel. So you can't say, well, I don't feel anything about what's going on. That's wrong. You do. We all do. No one shuts that off. Even in bad situations, they're going to affect us. And Daniel is in a bad situation. He's in captivity to a godless nation, right? So he's going to feel about that. And sometimes the bad situations bring the most fervent feelings, the most raw emotions within us. Let me just simply ask a question. Who here is angry at what's going on? With all the flag burning and the Bible burning and the business trashing and the innocents being injured and businesses being closed and the constantly changing orders and the numbers that never seem to make sense. Anybody a little bit angry about that? See, we feel, don't we? It affects us. Well, the question is, how are we as God's people to bring those feelings and in, in focus them in the right direction that is God-glorifying, that is Christ-exalting, that shows Him? How should we feel about what's go- what is going on and what is the righteous, acceptable mindset that we as God's people ought to have in this time, right here and right now? I think that's a pretty legitimate question. In fact, I think it's a really important question. Because how you feel impacts your actions, doesn't it? Why do you do things for your wife? Why do you do things for your husband? Because you love them. Why do you take care of your kids? Because you love them. Why do you go to work? Because you have a sense of duty. You feel obligated, right? How we feel about something motivates our actions. And so in this time, when when everything's kind of upside down and things don't make sense and we all know how it's affecting us, are we just to walk around letting every impulse control us? Letting every feeling hold absolute sway over what we do or do not do? No, I think we need to be aware of the attitude that we have that can influence our actions. So I, I want to talk about that just for a short time this morning. How we feel about all this going on can change our perspective. It can change our actions in it. And I see that in uh, the text this morning. What I want to do is I want to set before you kind of two ends of the spectrum. 
The text is the goal. How do we get there? And uh, how did Daniel get to way, the way that he felt and the heart that he has, as we'll see, um, as opposed to something else that we'll look at? This, this whole thing has caused me really to stop and to ponder my own heart in this. Because <laughs> quite often, let me tell you right now, I'm not in the right place. I'm walking around bitter and angry and spiteful. Every news story that comes along, every headline that I read, and that's not necessarily the right attitude, is it? So what I want to do first is I want to go to another book and to, to show you somebody else's reaction. To a prophet that lived right before Babylon took Israel. You know we're dealing in the, the Babylonian captivity. Daniel's right in the middle of it. I want to take you to a prophet who saw it starting to happen. And a prophet who writes down his reactions. And man, they're, they're real. They're raw. And I think it's going to resonate with us today. That prophet is named Habakkuk. I don't know if you've ever read out of that book or if you still got gold pages sticking together, but I'll tell you right now, it speaks right to us. So hook a right turn in your Bible. You go a couple books. You pass Jonah, Micah, Nahum. Habakkuk's right there. Part of the beautiful thing of reading through the Bible is you come across things you haven't noticed before. We tend to kind of stay in one area, like in the New Testament or with Paul's letters. Those are great. Those are awesome. <laughs> let's, let's, let's teach them. But man, you open up the Old Testament, you begin to see things lived out in real time and examples in real time, just like Daniel. Can you imagine if you never would have read the book of Daniel, what you would miss? Well, it's the same with some of these smaller books. Habakkuk is one of them. Look in chapter 1. Verse 1, the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. Now he's speaking. O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me. Oh, it just brought it right now into today, didn't it? All I see is violence and destruction. And there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth, doth compass about the righteous. Therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. <laughs> he could have been writing that today. Hey Lord, I keep praying and you're not answering. And all I see is wickedness. All these people doing wrong things and not getting in trouble. No judgment coming upon them. What's going on, God? Are you listening to me, God? Do you see what's going on? Why aren't you doing anything? Let's be honest. How many of us have found ourselves right there in the past few months? Lord, what's going on? Why aren't you stopping this? Why are you letting this happen? These people are out of control. They're destroying this nation. Evil principles are being pushed. Right is quickly becoming wrong, and for far too long, wrong has been right. You see this, Lord, right? Not to mention, as days go on, absolutely horrible, disgusting, unspeakable filth that comes to light. Makes you pray, God, make them stop and stop them now. Why are you letting this happen? Why won't you stop this? That's his question to God. And he is angry. You can see that, right? He is angry as he asks this. What? Lord, what's up? 
He's angry over sin, angry over God's allowing this and seemingly not caring about it. Now, let me be clear. There is a place for righteous anger. Sin should anger us. Lying angers me. Gossip angers me. Violence against the innocent angers me. Pedophilia angers me greatly. I hate those sins. And I don't think that's wrong to do that. I think there is a righteous anger. Bible burning angers me. And I want God to end it now. Now there's a place for that. And the prophet sees what is beginning to happen as this nation is coming in, but he takes it in a different direction. Lord, I see this happening. Why aren't you doing anything? How can you allow this? What's going on? You've let things get out of hand. Again, if we're honest, we can find the same attitude in our hearts. I want you to notice what God says back. In verse 5, God begins to speak. He says, Behold ye among the heathen in regard and wonder marvelously. Check this out, Habakkuk. For I will work a work in your days which ye will not believe, though it be told you. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. For the sake of time, we'll, we'll skip the rest of down through verse 11. God says, I'm raising them up. He says, you think it's out of control? No. It's all under my control. In fact, I'm going to use them for my purpose. And shortly after this, Babylon comes in, Nebuchadnezzar comes in, takes away Daniel, takes away the Israelites into captivity. God says, no, 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 no. You're not going to tell me what I am or am not doing. Let me tell you what I am doing. I'm using them for my purpose, and this is only happening because I am allowing it to happen. God says, I have my purpose in this, and you need to look at the current events and understand God has His purpose in this. This is not out of control. This hasn't gone completely sideways. For whatever it is He's doing, He knows what He's doing. I may not understand it, but I'm not God, am I? He knows what he is doing. So how should we respond to that? I want you to see how Habakkuk responds. Look in verse 12. Habakkuk is speaking then again. Art not thou from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. Thou hast ordained them for judgment. And Almighty God, thou hast established them for correction. Thou art pure of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on iniquity. Wherefore that lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth a man that is more righteous than he? No, 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 God, you're too holy for that. You can't look on sin, so how are you going to use this sinful nation? Chapter 2 and verse 1, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower, and I will watch to see what he will say to me. <laughs> nope, God, not possible. You can't use this. Those people are too sinful, and you are too holy. I don't believe it. Them, really? You're going to use them? Those godless, idolatrous, unrighteous heathen? Nope, I'm just going to sit here and see what you're going to do. Because that doesn't make sense. So you explain it to me. That's what this prophet is saying. Again, sometimes we find ourselves there, don't we? We get angered at what's going on. We don't understand what God is doing. So we just kind of sit back and say, God, what's up? 
Tell me, tell me what the purpose of all this is, because I don't understand it. There's danger in that mindset. Here's the danger, self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. You're going to use those people, those sinful people? How could you do that? How could you let them do that to us? The prophet forgets the sinfulness of the nation of Israel that is bringing this judgment. They walked away. They were not doing the right things. Oh, he doesn't see any of that. He sees the sin of others. It's very easy to look down the nose at other people, isn't it? Look at those people burning Bibles. How could they do that? Look at those people protesting here. How could they do that? Oh, I would never do that. These people are so sinful. And if we're not careful, we'll get right into that kind of a mindset, won't we? Look at all those sinful people. I am so good. Thank God I am not like the other people. Sound familiar? Like a Pharisee? who looks at a publican and says, thank God I'm not like them. I do all this. I go to church even when we're not supposed to. I give my money. I read my Bible. There's only one went away justified, and it was the man who was humble before God, right? Not the Pharisee. What this prophet's reaction is, is self-righteousness. Look at How could you use those people? Not to say what they're doing is right, but it's the attitude within them, you see. Habakkuk gets a wake-up call. Look in chapter 2 and verse 2. The Lord answered me and said, Hey, write this down. Make it plain. Verse 3. It's going to happen. But there's something you need to know first. Verse 4. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. That's where Paul quotes it from, this book. In the book of Romans, when he says the just shall live by faith, he's quoting from here. You know what God says? Oh, hold on a second. Your soul's awful lifted up within you, isn't it? That's not right before me. You know who is right? Those who live by faith. Those who have faith in my working, faith in my sovereignty, faith in my plan. And he goes on through the rest of chapter 2 to say, listen, I'm going to punish evil and I have my purpose in this. I'm going to... My purpose will be accomplished. But what you need to know is in verse 20. But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. (laughs) That passage, that little verse to me is right along the lines of like Job chapter 38, 39, 40, when God shows up on the scene and says, who are you to question me? I am in my holy temple. Keep silence. I know what I'm doing. Habakkuk has a right response to that. I know we're moving quick, but I I want you to see these things. Chapter 3 and verse 1. The prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, upon Shigianoth. That means this is a song. He writes a song. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. And in the midst of the years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. Why don't we start there? Okay, Lord, you do your work. You do your work right here and right now. You let your mercy be shown, and I will keep silent as you do. Verse 16. 
When I heard, my belly trembled, my lips quivered at the voice, rottenness entered in my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he cometh up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. When God begins to move and he does his purpose, though I may not understand it, because he is who he is, I will rest in the day of trouble. I will have faith in him. No longer in my own uprightness, but I'll have faith in God. Verse 17, although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olives shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and He will make my feet like hinds feet, and He will make me to walk upon mine high places. I'm going to trust in God no matter what happens. Habakkuk moves from anger to peace, doesn't he? From questioning God to now trusting Him completely. That's faith. Faith brought him there. Let me just say, are you there this morning? That's the first step. Are you trusting that God knows what's going on, that He is in control of all things, that He has a purpose? Because until we come to that, we're going to find ourselves right at the start just angry and bitter and self-righteous until we begin to trust in God. Lord, I, I may not understand, but I know who you are. I know all of this in some way, some purpose is working for not only your purpose, but for my good. Doesn't the Bible say that? All things work together for the good of them that love him and who are called according to his purpose in Romans 8.28. That's faith. That has to be step one. I go there because that has to be step one. Faith in the trial, right? And it's crystal clear that Daniel had faith. We don't find him questioning anywhere, do we? Even as things roll on, he's faithful. But it's not just faith. There's more to it. And here's where I want to begin to add the other layers. Now we'll go to the text. Oh, that's kind of just the intro. But have faith. Don't be angry. We're going to simply probably read most of Daniel chapter 9 or the verses of his prayer there, and you'll, you'll feel it. I don't have to say anything. You'll feel it. You'll feel his emotion, okay? Daniel chapter 9 and verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, the seeds of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of Chaldeans, in, verse, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years, whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish seventy years in the desolations of, Israel, of Jerusalem. This is, he says he's in the first reign of this king. That's the end of chapter 5. This is the guy who put him in the lion's den in chapter 6. Okay? And as that's taking place, He's reading his Bible. This books is the Bible. In fact, he's reading Jeremiah, right? I understood by books the number of years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet. He's reading the writings of Jeremiah who, who wrote his book shortly before they go into captivity. The passage he's reading, which we don't have time to go there, is Jeremiah chapter 29. We read that last week. Remember how God is speaking to Jeremiah? He says, I'm going to bring judgment through Babylon. And he gives some instructions like when you get there, you build houses, you plant gardens, you build your families, you carry on. 
and pray for the peace of the land, because if the land prospers, you do. And after 70 years, I'm going to come and bring you back home. He says, I know my plans for you. My ultimate plans for you are good. I have an expected end. Well, Daniel's reading this. And he does some simple math. Daniel's been there from the start of captivity. Well over 70 years. And you know what he realizes as he reads the Bible? It's time. It's time for God to move. God's going to keep His promise. God's going to end all this, like He said. And I want you to notice His reaction. Because if He was a little bit more like me, thank God He's not, He might think along the lines of this, it's about time. All right, God, get them. Destroy them. Oh, this is going to be so good. I'm going to sit back with my bucket of popcorn and watch God just stomp on some people and grind them to powder and lift us up over them and make them desolate. I'm going to sit back and watch all this. Payback is going to be good. Again, I struggle with some things. (laughs) Thank God Daniel's not like me. That's not how he reacts. I want you to watch as we read his prayer. I want you to to listen as he prays, you see his heart. You feel his heart. And it's a heart that we should have too. Let's pick it up in verse 3. Daniel speaking says, And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession. And said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that loved Him and to them that keep His commandments, we have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled, even by departing from Thy precepts and from Thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto Thy servants, the prophets, which spake in Thy name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and to all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto Thee, but unto us confusion of faces as it is this day to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to all Israel that are near and that are afar off, through all the countries whither thou hast driven them because of their trespass that they have trespassed against thee. O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of face, to our kings and to our princes and to our fathers because we have sinned against thee. To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgivenesses, though we have rebelled against him. Neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in His laws which He set before us by His servants the prophets. Yea, all Israel have transgressed Thy law even by departing, that they might not obey Thy voice. Therefore the curse is poured upon us, and the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against Him. And He hath confirmed His words which He spake against us and against our judges that judge us by bringing us bringing upon us a great evil. For under the whole heaven hath not been done as hath been done upon Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil has come upon us. Yet made we not our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth. Therefore hath the Lord watched upon the evil and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he doeth. For we obeyed not his voice. And now, O Lord our God, thou hast brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and hast gotten thee renowned. As at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. You see that? You feel that? His prayer is confession. Do you see how many times he says, God, you are good, we're sinful. You are righteous, we're not. We are in need of your grace, of your mercy. 
Look down and help us. Look down and restore us to where we need to be. You've done so much for us, yet we have walked away. That is amazing to me. There's no bitterness. There's no anger. There is brokenness for sin and its effects. If of anyone we read in the Bible, save maybe perhaps Job, Daniel had a reason to be bitter, right? He could look back and say, man, I've gotten, I did nothing wrong, and yet I got in all these different situations which God delivered me through, but these people won't leave me alone. He could get so bitter, but he's not. He could be jaded and callous, filled with hardness, but I don't see one bit of that here. You know what I see? A repentant, tender, broken, humble heart. He makes his confession before God. He prays on behalf of the nation. And I wonder, have we done that? Have we done that lately? It's not new in Scripture. Job prays on behalf of his family, doesn't he? Daniel does here, and it's something I think we should take note of. When is the last time we prayed on America's behalf? Lord, forgive us as a nation. We've walked away from some scriptural principles, from being in a very good place where there was liberty and the the, uh, morality of God was woven into our society. We've walked away from that. I don't believe that's wrong. In fact, I believe more of that needs to happen. Have we prayed on the church's behalf? Lord, help your people to be a brighter light. Help this church here to to be a brighter light? Have we prayed on our family's behalf? And instead of asking for more stuff and for ourselves, have we prayed for others? Have our hearts been broken for the sin that we see in the world? The wholesale rejection and ignorance of God. We haven't listened. We didn't pay attention. We walked away. You said you would judge us because of sin, and you have. Forgive us. His heart is broken for what is going on, for what he sees, for the sin, the inattention to God's word. And he longs for the restoration of the nation, for the strengthening of God's people, and for God to set them right back on the right path. That's the question. Is that what we have felt? Does all of this break your heart or just tick you off? Does it make you so angry you can't even speak to somebody who feels differently than you? Or somebody who might support uh, whatever is going on? Are you just so angry and so bitter and so hard you can't share the gospel? You can't have that kind of an impact. And you're just waiting for God to bring His judgment down. Or, do we see past what's going on to the reasons underneath? (laughs) This nation is in distress. The nation is failing. Things seem like they're spiraling out of control. And do you know why? It's not necessarily leftist politics. It's not the incessant incessant push of the media. It's sin. It's sin. The world is fallen in sin and it's going deeper every moment. 
It's human nature. Why do people do these things? It's our fallen human nature, you understand? Nature that has fallen in sin without good. There is none good. There is none righteous. None seeketh after God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Doesn't the Bible tell us that? That's why. We have to understand that, beloved. This is just human nature doing what it does. And that human nature needs redemption. It doesn't need reform. It doesn't need a new political party. It needs redemption that comes only from Christ. This world, this society, everyone who promotes and engages in violence against the helpless, everyone who burns Bibles and speaks against God and His Word, you know what they need? They need salvation and the forgiveness of sin that can only come from the shed blood of Christ. They need Jesus. Yes, that sounds so simple, but it is oh so true. This world needs Christ. We should see that and our hearts should break for that. For all the destruction that sin has caused. Instead, we find ourselves too angry, too self-righteous. What needs to happen is our heart needs to break as Daniel's did so we can stand and be a witness for what will save them. And like I've said, if I'm honest, I need help. Because too often each news report that comes in or each headline or whatever can turn my heart bitter and angry. Instead, listen now, instead of loving them. And yeah, I just said that. Loving them. Like God loved us when He gave His only begotten Son for us. God didn't love the righteous. God didn't love the clean. It says God so loved the world. The world that was broken and fallen in sin. To them, to us, He sent His Son. Herein is the love of God made manifest that While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's what Romans chapter 5 says. So who am I to have a bitter heart? We're here to be witnesses of Christ, aren't we? That is the commission of the church. That's why we exist. Go make disciples, baptize them, teach them, and then go out and do it again. Preach the gospel to every creature. Not to join in spreading hate and bitterness. There's a lot of people that can use a pulpit for political means. There's a lot of people that could use a pulpit to bash just things going on. Listen, like I said, there's a place for righteous anger. But what must come from this pulpit, what must come from our mouths first and foremost, is the gospel of Christ. That is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Well, that's impossible, you might say. How are we going to make a dent in all of that? What is impossible with man is not impossible with God. We're not fighting a physical battle. We're fighting a spiritual battle. And the weapons that we have are not carnal, but they are mighty through God. The gospel tears down walls. The gospel breaks hard hearts. The gospel saves sinners. And as it does, it begins to pull down strongholds within society. It begins to break down sin. The more the gospel goes through the city, 
the more those things will fall. The variable is us getting the gospel out. And again, I ask the question, does our heart break for that or are we too angry to do it? Our hearts ought to be tender to this, to break for the sin around us. And listen, even within us, our heart ought to break for the sin within God's people. The Bible is very clear that judgment begins at the house of God. We are the first ones who have to answer to Him. And for far too long, I fear the church has been like Israel was right before all this happened. Just going about their own business. That's the reason this whole captivity came. Because they ignored God. They went about their business. They did their own lives, their own things. They worshipped their own selves. They ignored the prophets who told them, Hey, you better wake up. Until God said, that's enough. Can I simply say this? Maybe perhaps part of the reason America finds itself in the place she does is maybe we've failed to be who we ought to be. Maybe we failed to have the impact on society like we should. Maybe we got a little too self-righteous looking down our nose. <laughs> it's those people to blame. Those people doing this. Those people cannot distinguish their left hand from their right spiritually. They have no idea. We do. We know the power of Christ to transform our lives, don't we? We know what it's like to be dead in sin and the next moment as we placed our faith in Him to have eternal life. We know the power as we fellowship with Him and we commit our lives to Him of Him to walk with us and carry us through the hard times and to just pour His blessings. We know what it's like to be with Christ. They don't. We ought to tell them. We ought to have a tender, broken heart like Daniel. Verse 16, as we finish up. O Lord, according to all Thy righteousness, I beseech Thee, let Thy anger and Thy fury be turned away from Thy city, Jerusalem, Thy holy mountain. Because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people are become a reproach to all them that are about us. Now, therefore, therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. O my God, incline thine ear and hear. Open thine eyes and behold our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousness, but for thy great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thy own sake, O my God, for thy city and thy people that are called by thy name. Hear us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. For your sake and your sake alone, for your glory, bring restoration. Let your glory be seen. Let your mercies be seen, even though we have sinned. Forgive us and restore us. Can you feel the heart of Daniel? What moves him at his core? What sustains him through the trial? What motivates him to take the stands that he does? He's a godly man with a godly heart that produces godly actions. One more way that he's an example to us. Listen, if our heart is grounded in faith, if our heart is at peace with His purpose, one that is broken for the lost and for sin within our own lives, 
if our heart is focused on God and His glory, we will be a force to be reckoned with the same as Daniel. We ought to dare to be like Daniel in this matter. Sometimes taking a stand is easy. Sometimes standing up and saying, I will not bow. Or sometimes speaking the truth. Sometimes that's easier. Sometimes it's the harder part to have the right attitude. To love those who curse you. Or how does the scripture put it? Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that despitefully use you. Sometimes that's harder, isn't it? But a godly heart is going to produce right actions. We ought to meet the hatred and the raging of the nations with faith and love. Does that mean we roll over to every whim of the world and say, well, God must have His purpose in this? No. We stand firm and we contend for the faith, as Jude says in his letter, but we do so with love, with a heart like Daniel. Because in that heart, God can be seen unmistakably. God is put on display because it is so anti-culture. It is so anti-the norm of society. Loving those who hate us. Broken for those who are against God and reaching out to them in love. That turns some heads. And God is seen in it. And there is a chance for it to be shown like never before in our lifetimes. Right now, this situation that we find ourselves in, we can shine the brightest if we would simply live and love as the church of God should. I've said that many times. You know this. The question is, how do you feel about it? My uncle said something years ago in a sermon. Um, It's always stuck with me. It's not what you know. It's how you feel about what you know. You know people need to be saved. You know the world is fallen in sin. You know what is going on is just the world doing what it does. How do you feel about it? Because how you feel about it is going to dictate how you act. Time is done. You know, if we truly have this heart and we truly stand as a Christian should, we truly have this kind of attitude, all I can say is it is amazing what God can do through that. We have no idea what God can do. He can turn hard hearts. We can see restoration of lives. We can see restoration of churches. We can see restoration of people in this nation. If we have the right heart. I was going to go to another passage of Scripture, but let me just end with this. Daniel saw restoration. You know, it's, it's told us in Scripture he continued to the reign of Cyrus. That's pretty important. Because God moves upon the heart of that king to bring Israel back. Daniel was carried away in captivity at the start. And he saw through the whole spectrum of God bring restoration. There might have been some times where it would have been easy to lose faith in the middle, right? I'm in this lion's den. How's this going to work out? (laughs) Or his friends facing a furnace. 
But he had the right heart and he had faith. And what happened? He saw the restoration. God brought him through. And beloved, if we would have hearts that are right with God, focused on God, we can see him move. I don't believe for one second that God is done working. I don't believe for one second that God has stopped being God. The gospel still saves. Do you believe that this morning? The gospel still saves. People, lost people can get saved as they place their faith in Christ. The power of that does not diminish. God, Jesus is still holding His promise when He says, I will build my church. Church growth is not over. Jesus still builds His church. Even when it may seem impossible to man, with God it is not. We know those things. How do we feel about it? Because if we truly believe it and we truly have the right heart, we'll be out there in the world sowing seed, telling people about Christ, inviting them to church. Unless you want to sit back and be too angry and do nothing. I hope it's been clear this morning what the Lord has laid on my heart. How maybe I need to have a more tender heart. One that is more broken over sin. A heart like Daniel. Maybe I need this morning to dare to be like Daniel. Maybe you do as well. Maybe you've got some bitterness built up or you've got some hardness there. Maybe you should ask the Spirit to give you a tender heart. Lord, help my heart to break more for the sin I see in people's lives. For their need for Jesus. And Lord, give me the boldness to tell them. Maybe we need to dare to be like Daniel, a little bit more like that. Let's bow our heads. Father, I ask that you take these words that have been spoken. Use them for your glory. Do the work that only you can do within our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would help us to have tender hearts loving hearts for the world around us, Lord, even as we stand firmly for you and your truth, Lord, help us to love the world around us and take that truth to them. If there's any need here, Lord, I ask that you would please move and draw as only you can, even if there's one who does not know you as Savior, Lord, that are still in their own sins and facing judgment for that, I pray that you would convict them of their sin and show them Christ crucified on the cross as the one who can save us, who took our place and our sin. Again, Lord, I ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.